Good. Uh, well, good evening, um, everybody. Um, and uh, we've got, well, just three of us here at the church, number of the church building. I think we, we may be expecting a few others, but um, um, uh, Martin, Jan, wait. Martin and Jan are not able to be here, um, and also um, Ed is not able to be here this evening. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to uh, read from uh, God's word, and then uh, I will pray, and then we will consider the verses that I read. And then uh, we'll, break, we'll pause and have a discussion afterwards. Um, but so the, uh, the passage we're thinking about this evening, it's Proverbs chapter 12 and verses 8 to 13. Proverbs 12 verses 8 to 13. Says this A man is commended according to his good sense, but one of twisted mind is despised. Better to be lowly and have a servant than to play the great man and lack bread. Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast but the mercy of the wicked is cruel whoever works his land will have plenty of bread but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense whoever is wicked covets the spoil of evildoers but the root of the righteous bears fruit. An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous escapes from trouble. Well, let's uh, come to God now and uh, seek his help. Oh Lord God, thank you so much for the wonderful privilege we have of being able to gather, uh, some of us in person, others online, and uh, that we have this opportunity to hear what your word has to say to us, and also to discuss it together. And we do pray that as we consider your word tonight, you will speak to us. Lord, we, we pray that you will if necessary, convict us of our sin. But we also pray that, uh, if necessary, you'll encourage us. And uh, we pray that you'll help us and, and, and move us to serve you better and to live more wise and more holy lives. So please help us now, we pray. Please help me to speak well and in, as led by your Holy Spirit, and please help us all to benefit from this time. We pray through Jesus Christ. Amen. 
So this evening we are considering, we are continuing our studies in the book of Proverbs. And in this evening's study, we shall be seeing how wisdom leads to commendation by men and by God. I will also be learning about how it is better to live in a humble way, according to our means, rather than pretending to be richer than we are. We'll also see how a righteous person, one way that you can tell a righteous person is by the way he treats his animals. Um, And we shall be learning about how we need to uh, work hard and patiently, uh, looking for long-term rewards rather than um, looking for easy money, chasing after fantasies. We'll, I hope also for us to consider verse 12, which talks about how uh, somebody who is wicked uh, covets um, the, the, uh, the ill-gotten gains of, of evildoers, and also how uh, somebody who is evil is trapped by what he says, uh, whereas... Uh, a righteous man is is delivered by what he says. So let's uh, consider these things together. And um, I, I've got a few comments to make. And then um, in a little while, hopefully we can we can break and uh, we can build each other up and encourage each other in, in God's word. Or if if, um, if 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 not, if we feel we've we've not got so much, not so much to say, we can. Use the time for prayer. So the first thing then to see is how a wise uh, person is commended. Verse 8. A man is commended according to his good sense. But one of twisted mind will be despised. Now, remember that the book of Proverbs is talking about what is generally true. And so what this verse is saying is that, generally speaking, if someone has good sense, if somebody is wise, he will be commended. Whereas, generally speaking, somebody who has a twisted mind, that person, person who is a fool, will be despised. Now... What's quite interesting about this verse is that you wouldn't actually expect this to be the case because, of course, our world is corrupt in its judgments. Our world applauds what is good and, and um, sorry, our world applauds what is bad and, um, and, and mocks uh, what is good. And yet... What we find is that even our corrupt world can't help recognizing wisdom when it sees it. And actually uh, um, rewards the person who often rewards the person who's wise and often gives that person responsibility. You've got numerous examples of this in the Bible. Joseph, the son of Jacob. Um, was recognized to be wise by those around him. So 
he kept on being given responsibility. He was sold as a slave, but his slave master put him in, in charge of his whole house because he realized his wisdom. He was put into prison, but the person who was running the prison put him in charge of the prison. And then he was, he was brought out of prison and he became prime minister of all Egypt because Pharaoh recognized his wisdom. Solomon was famous throughout the world, not just among the people of, of, of God, but among unbelievers as well, for his wisdom. The prophet Daniel was recognized to be full of wisdom and made effectively the prime minister of the Babylonian Empire. Jesus, of course, was his his wisdom was was commended even by his enemies. They couldn't they couldn't they, 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 they tried to catch him out with all sorts of trick questions, but they were totally baffled by his wisdom and they respected him for his wisdom. Stephen, the first martyr of the church, had a wisdom that no one could withstand, Acts 6 and verse 10. And Paul says in Romans chapter 13 and verse 3 that in our relations with the state, uh, he says, uh, according to the NIV translation, do you want to be free from, the one, from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. If we are, if we are Christians we, and we, are, we, we seek to do what is right, then, then even the non-Christian state will, generally speaking, recognize that wisdom. But most of all, Knowing the wisdom of God and living according to it leads to us being commended by God. In a sense, the commendation or otherwise of this world is of no account. We shouldn't really be too worried about what people think of us. But the thing which really matters is that God commends you. And Jesus said on that final day that, according to the parable of the talents, uh, he said that he will say to those who've used the gifts that he gave them well, he'll say to them, well done, good and faithful servant. What a tremendous thing it will be to be commended by none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. But by contrast, the person who is foolish is despised. People can see that that person's a fool. Like that person can see that person is making really stupid decisions. And people have no respect for the fool. And they laugh at the fool. Uh, Nabal, whose name means fool, uh, who foolishly insulted David and his men, was despised even by his own wife, Abigail. In 2 Samuel chapter 25 and verse 17 tells us that... Um, that uh, one of the servants said to Abigail, without any fear of, of reprimand, uh, that Nabal, quote, is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. And Abigail herself said, to her, said about her own husband to David in verse 25 of that chapter, let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal, as his Nabal is, is his name, and folly is with him. 
and proud dictators who are who get too big for their boots and make foolish decisions land up being laughed at like Hitler who was famously derided by the Charlie Chaplin film The Great Dictator but worse for the fool is that he'll not only be derided by men but also by God remember how we saw a little while ago in in um, chapter three how God's how uh, God will mock uh, proud mockers uh, and uh, uh, and remember what Jesus said about the rich fool here's this man who who had this bumper harvest he he said he would build bigger barns for himself and store up his goods and and uh, say to himself oh I've got I've got food stored up for many years. And, uh, and yet this man made no provision for his spiritual life. And we read in Luke chapter 12 and verse 20 that, that God said to this man, Fool, this very night your soul is required of you and the things you've prepared, whose will they be? Think how terrible it would be to be labelled by Almighty God a fool and to bear that name for all eternity. So how then can we be wise? How can we get this commendation from men and from God? Well, of course, this book tells us, doesn't it? It's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. You come to Christ. You trust in Christ to be your saviour. You realise that you need to be saved from your sins. You look to him for salvation. And having been saved, you then, you then uh, learn from God the wisdom that he gives and you apply that in your life. So there's the first thing. A, a, a person who is wise will be commended. Now the second thing to consider from the verses we're looking at tonight is that it's better to live humbly within your means than to pretend to be rich. We read in verse 9, better to be lowly and have a servant than to play the great man and lack bread. This is translated in the NIV. Better to be a nobody and yet have a servant than pretend to be somebody and have no food. This verse shows us how foolish it is to pretend to be what you're not. To pretend to be somebody really rich, really famous, really important, when in fact you're just a pretty ordinary Joe Bloggs. Well, this... uh, this uh, verse warns us against such thinking. It ties up also with chapter 13 and verse 7. One man pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, and yet has great wealth. Some people are obsessed with impressing others. They have to be seen to drive around in an expensive car. 
when they put on when they get married they have to put on a really expensive do and hope that it's going to be reported in some posh celebrity magazine they go away on exotic holidays and make sure that that every movement of that holiday is publicized on social media before all of their their thousands hundreds of thousands of adoring fans why do they do these things well because they want to impress everybody where their displays of apparent wealth and apparent importance and yet very often if you look into the personal finances of such people you'll find that all too often such exotic displays of expenditure are financed by credit cards bank loans and other forms of debt and in reality such people are far less well off than it appears from their shows of expenditure sooner or later the finance will run out and then they will be put to friend to put to shame in front of the friends that they were trying to impress but this first tells us that it is far better to live humbly uh, within our means and not to try to make an a, a, a name for uh, ourselves by extravagant expenditure now in ancient times if you only had one servant you know you you were pretty much a nobody <laughs> you know i mean labor was cheap and if you could if you all you could afford was one person to help you it's like sort of saying well you can only afford like an old fashioned brick phone or something you know you're not really that important in 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 you weren't really that important in 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 terms of 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 the, of the day but it's saying it's better to not spend very much very obviously just live a lowly life just live within your means but then you make sure you've got enough bread on the table you make sure you are living according to what you can afford then to make a great splash of expenditure um and uh, then actually you find yourself short later on why is it that that um we we but people do this why is it that people want to make this big splash why is it that people want to look so impressive is it not really a sort of form of self love is it not really a sort of like a basically a sort of narcissism a desire for people to to worship you a sort of really idolatry of self you want to cult your own image of celebrity and importance you want people to say wow you're so rich wow you got an amazing place to live wow you got an amazing car to go around wow you do those fantastic holidays uh, we need to be very careful don't we about about uh, wanting people to think well of us and of course this applies to all of us as christians doesn't it you know it applies to to myself as a preacher oh you know a desire to be some great preacher you know, we need to be so careful but it applies to all of us you might want to be a great doctor or a great musician or a great footballer be careful about this desire to look somebody important better to be a, a nobody 
and to have your, your means provided for. Well then, thirdly, uh, we see that uh, the righteous person is shown by the way that he treats his animal. Perhaps a little bit surprising, but um, this is one of those sort of telltale signs of a, of a righteous man. He, he, he's careful about his animal. Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. Remember, a righteous person in the book of Proverbs is somebody who has been, who is righteous in God's sight. He's recognized his sin and realized he needs to be saved. Doesn't know about Christ in person yet, but he's looking to God for that, that righteousness that God provides through faith. And has also been born again, has become a new creature through that work of the Spirit in his heart. And so fundamentally he's righteous. The direction of his life is righteous. And that righteousness, that, that godliness, is going to show itself in various different ways. The way he treats his wife, the way he treats his children, the way he relates with God, the way he works hard, the way he does his business in an honest way. But here's another telltale sign. He looks after his animal in a good way. Now, we need to distinguish between looking after an animal in a righteous way and the sort of modern movement to do with animal rights. Um, the, the animal rights movement comes from really combination of atheistic evolutionism and pantheism. So uh, evolutionism basically says that we've all evolved from, from matter and uh, humans are really no different from animals. And it's not really that they are elevating the animals, it's that they're bringing the humans down to the level of animals. Um, Pantheism, which strangely enough comes, you know, often hand in hand with with, with evolutionistic atheism, regards everything as divine. Nature is divine. Animals are divine. It, it, it faces the, the the difference between God and His creation. Now, the Christian uh, has a uh, will look after his animal not because he is he believes in animal rights, not because he is pantheistic in his view. No, the Christian will look after his animal because he knows that that animal has been made by God. It's not as valuable as human being because it's not made in the image of God, but nevertheless it's been made by God. And, uh, and, and, and it should be cared for um, uh, in the right way, and that the the Christian who knows his Bible knows that that God Himself cares for animals. Um, let me give you some verses: um, Psalm 145, verse nine: "The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all 
that he has made. That includes the animal creation. Um, Psalm goes on to say, Psalm 145, verses 15 and 16, The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at their proper time. You open your hand to satisfy the desire of every living thing. Psalm 147, verse 9 says, That God gives to the beasts their food and to the young their, their ravens that cry. Uh, so, uh, 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 and Jesus speaks uh, uh, about in Matthew chapter uh, tw- chapter six and verse twenty six about how God provides for the birds of the air. And uh, the righteous person knows also that God has commanded in His law that animals should be cared for and provided for. Working farm animals were to be allowed a day of rest on the Sabbath. It wasn't just humans who were to rest on the Sabbath, but the animals were to rest as well. Deuteronomy 25 and verse 4 says that an ox should be not be muzzled as it treads out the grain. And you've got examples in the Bible of, of, of godly men who, who, were, who, who cared for their animals. Um, Jacob for all his faults, uh, knew how to look after his animals. And he said when he met um, Esau, uh, it's recorded in chapter chapter 33 of Genesis, verses 13 and 14, my Lord knows that the children are frail and the nursing flocks and herds are a care for me. If they are driven hard for one day, the wool of flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me and at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. He was, he was mindful of the, the weak state of, this, of, of the animals that were under his care. And so um, here is, this is what we should be. We should be, we should be kind to those animals. Now, of course, we don't. You know, we're living in an urban society. I suppose, apart from the odd dog or cat that we have to look after, we don't. We don't have so much contact with animals as, 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 as people would in a in a rural environment. But um, there is an application here uh, for us in terms of how we, those of us who do have pets, how we look after them, um, and uh, and also perhaps there's a, a wider application in terms of. Of, um, of any meat that we buy, uh, that we, we seek to buy that meat from, from um, farms that, are, that treat the animals well and don't keep them locked up in, in sheds and, and, and treating them in, in an unkind way. So uh, there's a third thing there. And then a the fourth thing, uh, the wise person will work Hard and not chase fantasies. Verse 11 of, of chapter 12. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Now again, I think the NRV translation, I think perhaps is quite helpful here. It translates it, he who works his land will have abundant food, but he who chases fantasies lacks 
judgment. Now this verse reinforces a point that uh, we've already seen in a number of places in the book of Proverbs, that, that generally speaking, it is hard work that results in people having plenty of food to eat. Whereas generally speaking, laziness results in poverty. Uh, one other example, uh, one, one other verse which says something very similar to this uh, is uh, chapter 28, verse 19, which says, Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. Now, we know, there are except, we, we know that there are exceptions to this rule. We know that there are some people who are very lazy, but have a very affluent lifestyle. And there are others who, are, who work very, very hard and seem to be in constant poverty. But this is the general rule that, that um, is taught here in, 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 in this verse and in other places in Proverbs. And what this verse brings out is that often those who are lazy will fantasize about how they're going to make loads of money. They'll say, oh, I'm going to be a football star. I'm going to be a rich and successful businessman. I'm going to be a top actor. I'm going to be an inventor. And they dream about these great achievements that they have, that they're going to make. But they do nothing to actually realize those achievements. Um, who was it uh, who said um, the inventor of the, or the person who, who um, knew how to, worked out how to utilize light bulbs? Did he say it was Edison? Edison that's right. 99% perspiration and 1% inspiration. It's to actually work out how to do these things involves hard work, patient hard work. You experiment, you try, it fails, you try again, you try and try again, keep on and on and on and on working until finally you get the result. Very, very rarely does somebody just, as it were, hit the jackpot and they become instantly very rich through doing virtually nothing. Of course, it happens sometimes, but generally speaking, that does not happen. And, of course, I mentioned jackpot there. That, that, that is one way in which those who are lazy try to get rich by gambling. They think, well, I'm not going to... You know, I don't want to go through the hard work of actually just working every day and trying to patiently and carefully build up uh, some savings and some, some, you know, oh, if I just place this £10 bet on the lottery, I could become a millionaire instantly. And some fantasize about this great jackpot that they're going to, that they're going to win. And, of course, the sad thing is that for the vast majority of people, such fantasies, rather than leading to great wealth, lead to great poverty. And the poverty that they're already in uh, gets deepened through, through their um, gambling habit. 
But by contrast, the person who step by step works hard at school, passes exams, then goes on to university, works hard at university, gets qualified, get, gets a degree, then, then maybe does a professional qualification after that, then works hard at, 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 his, at his job, he will, generally speaking, or she will, generally speaking, do well and have provision for his or her needs. And there is, of course, a spiritual application for us here as well. If we work hard at reading our Bibles and at our spiritual life, our prayer, we make that effort to get out to meetings of the church and uh, we make that effort to read good Christian books and listen to sermons online and so on and so forth, we will, like in all probability, bear fruit in terms of spiritual strength. But if we're lazy as Christians and we hardly ever come to meetings of the church, we hardly ever read our Bibles, we hardly ever pray, then chances are that we will be poor spiritually. We might be saved, but uh, we'll not have much to show for ourselves in terms of our spiritual life. If we work hard at evangelism, then it's very likely in due, that in due course we shall see a harvest of souls. But if we, if we just spend our time watching films on the computer and just having engaged in leisure activities, never really make any effort to, to reach the lost, uh, in all probability we're unlikely to see much of a harvest. If we make that effort to grow in our holiness, we, we, we diligently work at conquering sin in our lives, uh, then it's, it's very, very probable that in due course we shall reap holiness in our lives. But if we do not make any real effort to become like Christ, then, then sins which, which we thought we'd overcome... Uh, in our younger years may well come back to haunt us in our older years. Now we might fantasize, I'm going to be this great preacher, I'm going to be this fantastic uh, evangelist, I'm going, to, I'm going to conquer the devil, I'm going to see great triumphs. But the fantasies will not become a reality unless we're prepared to put in that hard graft that is involved. So, uh, the righteous will work hard and benefit from their hard work. Now then, the fifth thing to see from this passage is that the wicked person will covet what the, another evil person has gained. So, verse 12 Whoever is wicked covets the spoil of evildoers. But the root of the righteous bears fruit. Now remember, who is the wicked? The wicked is the person who is not born again. His heart is still set on sin. And what this, what this verse says is that the wicked person will... 
envy another wicked person. If that other wicked person manages to pull off some evil deed and manages to get away with it, that wicked person will envy that other person. Now, isn't it, um, isn't it noticeable how films about people like the Cray brothers and the train robbers and, and, and about, about mafia gangsters, people love to watch these films. Why do they love to watch these films? I think it's because they actually almost envy the lavish lifestyle, even the violence, the sense of power and control that these gangsters had. I mean, you know, since living here in the East End, I've been quite surprised how even, you know, many years later, the Cray brothers are treated almost as heroes. Why should they be heroes? But they, they are in, in, the, in, in many people's minds. Why? Uh, well, I think it's because there is this, this envy of, of them. Um, uh, but by contrast... Uh, says um, says uh, the writer of the Proverbs the writer of the Proverbs Solomon uh, the righteous person is uh, the root of the righteous bears fruit the righteous man is rooted into God and he his goal is to be like Christ. He's not wanting the reward of the pleasures of sin. He's not wanting to, to um, live out his sin in other people. Another way in which, by the way, that, other ha- that thing that I've just talked about happens is why are these films that, that depict in graphic detail rape and murder? Why do people watch these things? Why do people find entertainment from these things? Why do they find it enjoyable to watch such horrible things? Is it because they actually want by proxy to live out that thing, to actually sort of to, to, to have a, a sort of um, an enjoyment in, in that sin? But no, the righteous, he's rooted for God. He wants God. He wants to be like Christ. And because he's rooting for God, there's fruit. The root of the righteous bears fruit. What is that fruit? Well, from the New Testament, we know the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the righteous. And then finally, the sin the sins of, the, of speech entrap, ensnare the wicked. Verse 13. An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous escapes from trouble. Now this is true at both the human level and also in, in, in eternal terms as well. The person who's not right with God will often trap himself by his sins of speech. Now this particularly, of course, is true for the liar. Because what happens with the liar is that the liar 
tells this web of lies, but eventually he gets caught in his own trap of lies, in his own web of lies, again and again, because somebody cross-refers from one thing that he said to another thing that he said, and eventually that contradiction is, is detected and the person is trapped in his own web of lies. Another way in which it happens is where an evil person is trapped by evil things that he says about another person or other, by other people and, and, and he spreads slander and, and says unkind things and untrue things and eventually again it comes back to haunt him. People compare notes, people find out and that person uh, loses friends and loses trusts or perhaps even worse becomes uh, an object of, of, of hatred or even vengeance but for the righteous his lips can help him to escape from trouble the righteous escapes from trouble and this can often happen just in this life in so far as the righteous person, he might be in some sort of angry confrontation. Maybe somebody wants to, wants, to, wants to attack him. Very often a righteous person will know how to defuse that situation, how to, how to say a kind and non-aggressive word, and, that, and, and, and he escapes. Whereas the, the unrighteous person, he responds to aggression with aggression and... and, and before very long, a fight breaks out, and, and that person, and he lands up in difficulty. Now, if this is true for um, this life, it's certainly true for the life to come. Now, I, I, I mentioned last time, I think it was, um, how Jesus said, as recorded in Matthew's Gospel, chapter twelve, verses thirty-four to thirty-seven. He said these things, these words, which I think it, it is worth repeating in this context. He said, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Our words, our mouths, show what is in our hearts. Uh, and so for the wicked, their mouths trap them. Their mouths reveal the sin that's in them. Their hatred of God, their hatred of other people is revealed by their mouths. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. They're revealed to be the sinners they are. And then, so Jesus says, by your words, you'll be condemned. The sinner is condemned by his words. But for the righteous, their mouths deliver them. It's not that you're saved by speaking right. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. But 
your words uh, deliver the righteous. The words of the righteous deliver them in the sense that they show that righteous person to be the righteous person that he is. They reveal that man or that woman is trusting Christ for salvation. That there is the love of God and the love of man in that person's heart. And it's revealed by his or her mouth. And so the mouth, in that sense, delivers him or her. Well, I hope that is helpful for us. Um, and I do hope and pray that the Lord will write these things upon our hearts and that we will apply them in our lives. Let's pray now and we'll finish this part of our meeting and then we'll move to a time of discussion and perhaps prayer. So, so let's pray now. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word and thank you that your word does teach us, it does instruct us, it does show us um, how you want us to live. Uh, we pray that you'll help us to remember what we thought about this evening and we pray that you'll help us to apply your word in our lives that we will uh, think aright, that we will speak aright, and that we will act aright, that we will live in wise and godly ways. We pray that, Lord, if anybody listens to this who's not yet a Christian, we pray that you'll move that person to come to Christ. And those who are Christians, we pray that you'll, you will um, help us to serve you better. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.